evening, everybody, and welcome to Ultravision TV, where we inform, educate, entertain, and inspire. My name is Angela Barrows, and I'm your host for today for Mindful Thoughts. Now, unless someone's had a ticket to outer space and they've been living there for the past year, then um, you'll year. be exempt from... Oh, no, put this one. Could I just ask everyone to just mute their microphones? Cheryl, if you can. Thank you very much. Um, if I can ask everyone just to make sure that they're, they're muted as well. Thank you. Um, yes, no one can fail to recognise that we've been living in a pandemic for the last year. And I remember exactly where I was this time last year, getting ready. Well, I was actually in London this time last year because it's my, my birthday today. That's another. That's an aside. And I went to London to the Saatchi Museum. And I remember preparing myself to get some gloves to wear on the underground because at the, that time we'd only just heard that there were cases of COVID, which is what we're going to be discussing today. Um, little did we know that a couple of weeks later we'd all be locked down in our houses, which is another experience. So what I've what I wanted to do today, I uh, will introduce you to my guest and. Adelaide will share her experience and her story and what I'd like people to do is to get your questions ready which I'm sure there's going to be lots of so I'm going to allow enough space for people to ask as many questions as they as they can um, for Adelaide for later on after we've had a just a short discussion and um, around COVID-19 and Adelaide's experience so get your questions ready and in the meantime I'm going to invite my guest, Adelaide Chibanda, to tell us a little bit more about her. You're a nurse working for the NHS and your experience, you know, being in the, being in the front line, what was it like for staff? You know, what was it like for, for patients? But first of all, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Hi, Angela. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on your show. It's an honour and a privilege to be here. Um, so I guess I'm a mental health professional. I have been one for the last 23 years. So pretty much mental health is all I've known in terms of my career. Um, I am not currently practicing. I'm on what you might call a career break at the moment, just sort of exploring um, other things about life. I think I'm of that age where I'm really thinking, oh, is this all? I'm going to do in life really or actually are there other opportunities and even just in the realms of mental health and the things that I've learned um, about how uh, people um, operate in terms of their emotions and their, their way of doing life and I think I just questioned is this all there is to it in terms of working within the NHS which is largely where I've worked um, and I, I believe that there's more that we can do outside formal structures, uh, particularly for black people, um, ourselves. I, I've seen the fact firsthand um, from both sides, I think, just experiences, uh, personal experiences, but also from a, 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 the service professional experience. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that's kind of where I'm at in terms of career. I have started um, looking at um, sort of well, I have started a platform for mothers and daughters. Um, and again, the, the background of that is really about um, mental health and empowering uh, women 
um, in particular, um, in terms of, I suppose, taking control and being intentional um, about how we um, build our relationships from a very young age because of the impact that it has on us as adults uh, and again just the trajectory of um, our lives so yeah I think it's it's early days but there's been a lot of interest and um, I think we're having some really interesting and challenging conversations um, between the generations and you know kind of moving on how we do things so, but today is about COVID, right? <laughs> it is, yes. So, take me to the place where you were when the conversation, well, the news was actually saying, you know, obviously there were cases in, in China when it started. But take me back to, or take us back to the place where you were when it became um, a serious issue when you know cases were being found in in England what was happening for you where were you were you working in the hospitals and where were you working and what was happening in the hospitals at that time what was happening for you as well at that time yeah I mean I'll take a step back before I touch on um kind of from a work perspective Mm -hmm. so um I'd actually gone for a family wedding in in South Africa end of February so we'd um we'd known about the cases in China and there was some news about that who had you know done the whole announcement that there was something going on but actually that they were handling it well and it was contained and you know so it was something that was happening over there we were also seeing um cases in Italy and these numbers that were just numbers you know but it had no meaning to us because it wasn't happening in our in our doorstep really and there were some explanations about you know somebody had flown in and that's how they got their cases but again it was something over there um so towards the end of february went to south africa um what we found interesting was in the uk there just absolutely wasn't anything we went through Abu Dhabi, um and there were some questions but again not too bad south africa again questions but again not too bad On the return journey, so that would have been maybe the 2nd or 3rd of March, um, there was definite questioning. There were signs everywhere um, and uh, there were temperature checks, um, some in the airplane as well. So it was a a mixture of of things and you didn't board onto the flight or disembark without your temperature temperature being checked. So this was kind of throughout Africa and Abu Dhabi. Landing in the UK... It was like as if nothing was happening Um, on the flight. You had lots of people with masks on, you know, and we were, I remember laughing with my husband and thinking, gosh, you know, what are these people up to? You know, these people are kind of OCD. It's all over the top. What's going on? Landing in in the UK, absolutely. It was almost like you were in a different time zone because there was just nothing. We, We weren't asked anything um, there was one or two signs, but again, nothing that was in your face as compared to uh, where we'd come from. Um, and yeah, just went through and went about our ways. And that, that was the end of that. Um, going back into work, um, obviously the cases uh, when we were still in South Africa, I think that's when we had the first case announced in, in the UK. Um, so by the time I come back, the, the cases were starting to rise and there were conversations that were happening um, and you could hear the, the, the change. People were worried, but you were kind of carrying on. Life was kind of normal. 
And then all hell broke loose. And when I say all hell broke loose, I mean, sort of the announcements about lockdown. But from a health perspective, what we had is policy starting to trickle, not trickle, it was like a tsunami. Overload of information, us mm. trying to catch up with what we were being asked to do and understand. So not only are we human beings who should process what was happening in the world, um, you know, kind of the potential for the end of life for us as we know it, um, you know, and go through kind of, I guess, the process that everybody else was being allowed to go through because it's almost like life stood still. But for us, um, certainly in the in the healthcare service, and obviously I would imagine other frontline workers, um, but I can only obviously speak from the health perspective, your life didn't stop. So you didn't have any thinking space. You didn't have any um, point where you could just let your guard down and allow that, that fear or anything else, anxiety, or even time to, to think or reach out to people because you were just focused about going into work. Um, the issue about who could be shielding, who should be shielding, and your uh, workforce was worrying. Um, you know, so were you going to have enough staff to be able to manage what was happening? Um, people whose mental health started to deteriorate because of the stress and the pressure and the anxiety. Again, concerns about are we going to have enough people to be able to manage what we have to manage? Um, at the same time, you have got your uh, the government uh, issuing policy that was literally changing day by day, what PPE we could or couldn't wear. Um, and to be perfectly honest, in the beginning, we were kind of told we didn't really need anything until unless you had somebody with an active case. So people were just going into work and there was nothing. And to be fair, I don't think we had, we had the PPE available. So even if we wanted to use it or needed to use it or had to use it, it wasn't there. The supply, the stock was just not there. And they were prioritizing uh, sort of the acute hospitals, so people that were in the ICUs and, and the general hospitals, and rightly so. Um, but that wasn't to say that, you know, people who were coming in might not come in with um, uh, infection or even ourselves coming into work. We could be bringing in the infection. So it was really, really tough. And I think my role at the time, I was um, I, I worked as a nurse consultant and covered a number of clinical areas um, in terms of overseeing the clinical care, uh, but also covering some of the managerial gaps. So I, I was in the thick of it with the staff who were concerned and worried about, one, the fact that they had to be at work and they had to face this, but also, two, how they were going to manage and, and what was expected of them. And it was really difficult because sometimes you had the answers and they were clear, but a lot of the time there was a lot of ambiguity. And secondly, you were changing. If you think about how um, in healthcare services a lot of people do uh, shift work, so you might be in for three days but not be in for the next four days. Mm -hmm. By the time you come back, everything has completely changed to what you were being asked to do. Um, thinking about mental health services um, and obviously the fact that a lot of our patients, so now it's not uncommon that you might have um, 80 plus percent of people who are coming in 
who um, are detained under the Mental Health Act. So it's people who do not want to be in hospital, who are being forced to come into hospital, who may not understand why they're in hospital, um, and at times may not cooperate in the same manner as they would have done if they were not in the midst of a mental health crisis. So not only were you having people that wouldn't uh, shield um, or isolate, so the idea is if somebody comes into hospital um, before you kind of... Um, engage with the wider public you go in and you stay in your room until you've had the test and the results but not everybody's going to cooperate and you can't be locking people in their rooms that's against human rights so it, it was really really difficult in terms of how being as healthcare professionals we had to manage on a day-to-day -day basis not only um, fearing for 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 your life in a sense because you didn't know what the impact was going to be on you as a person if you actually got COVID. You might have been asymptomatic and been fine, um, and and that's good for you. You might have um, have a few symptoms and be a little bit poorly, but still be okay. Or you could really, really be unwell, um, which is you know. So people had a variety of presentations with that, and nobody really knew. As, as an individual, how it was going to affect me. Um, I think as black pr practitioners, we started to realize in the news and our networks were telling us that we were being disproportionately affected mm. by the virus. Um, so a lot more of us were getting severe disease. So we, we were being, uh, well, we were the most ill in a lot of cases, but also we were dying. Um, and that was both, in terms of the general community and the general public, but as well as uh, within healthcare settings. Um, during that time, what I found really helpful is that a number of networks, um, so I'm Zimbabwean by background, and the Zim Health UK um, network started a lot of um, campaigns around um, discussion and information sharing. So this was probably around May. Um, June, July, just for people to sort of start looking at what, what was going on. And there was a lot of anger and a lot of upset um, that people had been left, um, that people were being forced to work in the front line, that they weren't being given the option of taking a step back as their colleagues, that there was discrimination going on. Um, there was also a lot of challenge from the facilitators around um, what we were doing to help ourselves. So were we speaking out? That was one of the issues. Were we looking after our health in general? So what, what is the things that um, made us disproportionately affected? Um, was it because we worked too much? We overworked, um, you know, all the hours that God sends, we were working. Acknowledging the reasons why that might be, you might be looking after people overseas or or whatever and you weren't just looking after your own health needs here you might you know you might be still going through immigration processes and we know how much that costs you know there's so many varied reasons as to why people do this but actually those things have an effect the fact that we we work so hard that we do all those hours the fact that you know we are disproportionately um 
found in, um, in terms of our banding. So the lower graded staff are more likely to be from a black and ethnic minority group. And those are the ones that are likely to be having the most direct contact with patients. So it's all these things that we were able to sort of, I guess, start um, talking about and addressing. I think at that time um, as well, we, we noted, and I certainly, I personally noted the number of um, messages that were coming through, particularly through WhatsApp, conspiracy theories, all these things that were telling us that this was uh, Bill Gates um, and it was all related to the end of the world and people having um, ulterior motives, um, that, you know, this was about 5G and networks, goodness, things that blew my mind because I didn't actually know what they meant, but these things were circulating um, in, on social media and people were starting to believe um, everything that was being said. The other thing um, I think that was of note for me during that time was um, the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, George Floyd, I think, touched all of us um, on this planet um, in, 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 in ways that we haven't been um, touched before around the issue of uh, racism. And I think it opened uh, up the eyes of people in a way, again, that we haven't ever seen, or well, certainly that was my experience and my thoughts at the time. So in, in, in a lot of ways, I think it gave us voice um, as people. It, it, it allowed us to not just accept that, um, you know, things had to be this way, but actually allowed us to start questioning, okay, so what does this mean for me? Um, and what am I going to do about it? And what are you going to do about it? So whether it was to the system, whether it was to each other, it was, I think it gave us a voice that, again, we haven't been able mm -hmm. to have. So I'll, I'll come to sort of hesitancy um, a little bit, but I think this is probably some of the hesitancy that we're seeing isn't just necessarily a bad thing in terms of I don't want to take the vaccine, um, for example. I think... Um, or really trying to understand what's going on here. I think uh, for a long time we have been passive. We have been um, allowed maybe the system, uh, the world, ourselves to to silence us and to not allow us to to fight back and to question. And I think what Black Lives Matter did was for us to be able to stop and actually question and say, hang on a minute. Uh, what is actually going on here and how are we being affected as black people and not thinking, okay, how is it affecting everybody, but also thinking about ourselves, which I think was really important and, and really good. Um, in organizations, um, you know, it, it really depended on, I guess, how inclusive, how uh, compassionate they were in terms of how they dealt um, with uh, the whole um, kind of thing. So I know Birmingham, for, for example, they, their chief executive actually sent out a letter um, and they shared it widely on, on social media, which is how I, I got to see it, where they actually acknowledged um, the fact that black people were being disproportionately affected and that they were taking certain steps. Um, locally, I think, you know, people had to be lobbied and I think a lot of other um, cities were, but, you know, people were asking the questions. I think uh, black people as well as um, 
allies were asking um, heads of organizations, what are you doing about this? Um, the, the staff network groups were asking um, the heads, what are you doing about this? Um, and the, the, the NHS actually came out with a risk assessment um, that you could have carried out. It wasn't the best, uh, but it was a good start and I think an acknowledgement that we were being disproportionately affected. Interestingly, although you could have the assessment, the outcome and therefore what happened, I'm not sure many things changed or that it had a lot of um, positive impact on people, but it was a start um, mm -hmm. and it was good. It was good for people, even maybe who didn't feel empowered to start feeling um, empowered themselves. Um, I think another aspect of my journey is I have been lucky, and I say lucky because so many people I know have been affected and have had the virus. So I never got the virus. But what I, my personal experience was I was really frightened every time I went to work. Um, what would happen? You know, would I come across somebody? Um, because you can social distance to a point. Uh, you can use the basic PPE to a point, um, but actually, if you think about mental health, the, the work that we do, it's all about communication and, and speaking. Mm -hmm. And when your mask is, <laughs> your you know, your mouth is fully uh, covered up, it's very difficult. We've had to learn how to communicate more with your eyes than you've ever had to, because sometimes that's the only way you can convey uh, a message, whether it's just to say telling somebody it's okay or, you know, you're going to be okay or whatever you're trying to communicate. Um, so that that was really tough. I think when you, you know, saw your um, colleagues getting sick and the experiences that they were going through, um, you know, there was a time almost a whole ward full of staff was affected one after the other. Um, and it, it, it was scary. It was really scary. It was scary in terms of not knowing whether you're going to have staff to do the jobs that you wanted to do, you know, to look after the patients that you needed to look after. It was scary whether you were going to be the next to catch it and whether you were going to be okay um, and whether you were going to make it. it. It was just really, really tough. You just, you, you didn't know whether you were coming or going. Um, but you, you know, I think my colleagues are amazing are totally and utterly amazing because people would work seven days in a row to cover um, the shifts that they had shortfalls because people couldn't be at work for whatever reason. Um, people would phone each other up and, you know, change their shifts around. In, and this is what the NHS does. This is what people do when they work. But this time there was an additional layer to it. And unfortunately, I don't think that we've seen the other side of it, um, yet in terms of the impact that it has had on health services. Um, so, well, I, yeah, I think that's a, a discussion for another day, really, because mm. I think we're just going to wait um, to see what happens. So I'll just jump on to, um, I guess, my journey then with when the vaccine was being announced. Mm. So I have to confess, I... I have never taken the flu jab. I am supposed to because I work in health. Well, when I used to work in healthcare, um, but I've never done it. And I, I, yeah, we we're not forced to, 
take vaccines, but it is an expectation and it is about the greater good and it is about doing the right thing. And, um, you know, from a scientific perspective, you know, we, we should do just to ensure that um, a flu pandemic doesn't arise and, and everything else. But for me, it was a personal decision. I just, um, my spirit has never agreed with me taking the vaccine. I've managed teams where I had very high uptake of vaccines, so I didn't, I wasn't an anti-vaxxer either, so I didn't tell people not to take the vaccine. Um, so that's just a little bit of my background with vaccines in general. Um, so COVID vaccine. Um, wow. Could I just stop you there, Azzy? Can yes. we come back to the vaccines? I just, I, I just want to kind of just get you to take a pause to start yes, with. Because thank you. <laughs> what, um, yeah, because just hearing you, I think for me, and I'm, I'm going to open it up to, to questions shortly, but um, just hearing yourself share your personal experience. I know we, well, I could speak for myself. I know I've been listening to, you know, to the news and, and hearing all this about what's, what's going on in the hospitals and, um, you know, people dying and everything else like that. But to hear it almost like firsthand from somebody who's lived it, really brings it home for me um, in terms of and I, you know, I know I know that we both live in the same city as well so I'm, I'm identifying the hospitals that more than likely you would have been working in um, but to have someone as so close to it now to be able to kind of share what's been going on I think it's probably the reason why there's so many people here wanting to to hear what actually happens you know behind the hospital doors um, and there's lots of issues for me in terms of, you know, the whole thing about PPE, how long that, that took, and, um, you know, the test and trace and um, the, um, particularly, you know, the staff and trying to, you know, the, the, the mantra was, you know, stay home, look after people and, and, save, and save the NHS. And about your own colleagues coming into work, not knowing if you are, you know, you're going to be leaving and taking it home. You know, colleagues not not coming in, or you're thinking that they've got COVID and they're going to die, or they, you know, that. So I'm just imagining the the um, the impact that must have had on on everyone's mental health, certainly within the um, the NHS and the nurses and doctors that were working with patients, not just for the patients themselves, but for their own colleagues, must have been. That's unimaginable for me to even kind of comprehend that. So you're going into work and thinking, am I going to be the next one? You know that. It's going to get COVID and maybe die, or even one of my colleagues. Um, and the government, for me, I don't know what. We just, we just want to share just very, just very short, quickly. You know, what do you think the government could have done better? And then we'll come. You know, we'll make our way back to talk about the vaccines. What do you think was missing for you as a practitioner? Um. <sighs> I, guess, I mean, I have to emphasize these are just my personal. Yes, I'm just thinking from your from your point of view. Yeah, I think for me, I I saw it from a initially from a more global approach, I guess, and I just think, you know, I'm living in a in a Western society. I'm living in a first world country, and um, I genuinely expected things to have gone a lot better just mm -hmm. by the nature that we're living in a first world country. What I didn't see was the response, the immediate response to a potential crisis in a manner that I would have expected. Mm -hmm. I would have expected 
you know, and I, I, I will talk of Zimbabwe being, um, you know, the country that I am from, being the ones that were sort of almost caught back-footed, that didn't seem to have an emergency plan in place, that didn't seem to have stocks. And, and, and why I'm saying it's a global issue is that have we relied so much on, you know, countries like China, uh, you know, Taiwan, Bangladesh, whatever, wherever we get our resources from or our stock from, and because everything has been moving on so well, um, that actually we weren't prepared for an emergency um, and that our local responses just were not great from a, I don't want to say public health perspective, because I do think this is about government rather than mm. um, individual um, individuals or practitioners per se. Um, whereas if I look at, so for example, in, in you know, in Zimbabwe, they started the um, kind of entry point uh, testing and uh, quarantine kind of early on, way, 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 way before. I mean, we've started this year in February and I would probably say, I can't remember the exact details, but I wouldn't be surprised if by April they had already started and a lot of African countries were doing that. Mm -hmm. Now, whether they are better actually at um, doing this sort of work because of all the HIV work that was being mm -hmm. done, and if you look at Western Africa in terms of the Ebola work, yeah. and just generally how they respond at community level when it comes to um, health outbreaks, I don't know. And maybe because we don't have a lot of those things happening here, whether it's things like cholera, dysentery, and again, like, you know, Ebola, that we've we've kind of forgotten how to respond to things. I, I really don't know. So from a global perspective, I, I struggled with how the first world responded to this virus mm -hmm. and whether they put, um, you know, kind of capitalism, profits and money ahead of um, the health of, of people. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly don't know. Yeah. These are just thoughts going on my my head. At local level, in terms of thinking, you know, from a hospital level, and you know, uh, I think they did the best that they could with what they had at the time. Um, and you know, this was new for everybody. Nobody had faced this, I think, in their lifetime. Um, in terms of dealing with a crisis at this level with a disease that was not known. Um, and understood, and to be fair, China didn't help. They didn't release uh, the data. They still haven't released the data. For those of you that follow some of this news, you know, who has been on the ground a year later, that's when they've been around, allowed to go in and look at what happened and try and work out what the source was, et cetera, et cetera, and, and just to help with the fight going forward. But still, there were limitations to what they could do. So. There were a lot of things, I think, against um, government and policymakers around how we proceeded. I think an honest, open approach, something that I prefer, would have been preferred to say that we don't know. So rather than tell us that we don't need PPE at a certain level, to just say we don't have it, this is what yeah. we should be doing. But I guess maybe politics doesn't allow us to do that. But that was clear to us because it doesn't make sense. It's only again now that you're starting to hear people actually voice that a lot more publicly that 
the PPE that we have been using is inadequate. And there have been numerous recalls of different products that we have been using due to the inadequacy. Um, and I think, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm going to be controversial if that's okay. But, you know, we talk that's, about corruption. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, controversial. We need, yeah, we have to be having these conversations. Yeah, we talk about corruption, but actually there's a lot of corruption happening here. Um, you know, with the test and trace campaigns, with um, the the um, PPE contracts, you know, they, there's a lot of people who had repurposed their, um, what do you call it, their businesses to produce PPE. There were people that were doing this already that weren't given contracts. Um, and, you know, I, so it's... Speak it out, because that's, that, think... that's been reported, and people are asking <laughs> me... questions why. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's really opened my eyes up, thinking, you know, what, what, what do we consider a great nation, and first world nation, third world, what does that even mean, you know, what, you know, who, who actually cares for the population, who, and yeah, I think it's my outlook, my global outlook um, certainly has been changed um somewhat um due due to this so yeah yeah okay i've got some questions myself but i'll, I'll anybody who's got who's got questions having heard something having heard some of what adelaide talked about please put them in the chat and i'll come back to those and i've got my own questions but i'm not going to take the floor completely away away from everybody who's here um listening and watching um we wanted, you were about to talk about the um, the vaccines and vaccinations. If you'd just like to share a little bit about that, and then if that's all right, people want to get your questions ready, we can yeah. allow you to take, take some time to have a breath again <laughs> before you start answering lots of questions. Yeah, so you said you've been, you've, you've had the vaccination? Yes, yeah. so I've, I've actually had both now. Right, okay. Um, I had the Pfizer um, injection. I had my first one uh, towards the end of December, and then the second one in uh, two weeks ago, I think. So probably about eight weeks apart, sort of. So um, how did you how did you come to your decision to kind of have that? Or was it just a was it? It was just a given. No, it wasn't a given. Okay. <laughs> because I'm not a, a person who 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 even as I mm. said right at the beginning takes the flu jab. Um, yeah, so right. I'm not. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I consider everything that I do, so the, the decisions that I make and the reasons why. I thought about why I refuse to take the flu vaccine, and it's just a personal choice. I, I feel like my immune system um, responds naturally, and every three to four years, I probably have a bout of what I would consider the flu, where it takes me out for a couple of weeks, and then I recover. But that's just been how my body has always been, so I... I just thought, well, why do I want to add something else to it? It doesn't make sense. So when we they started talking about the, the, the COVID vaccine, I really started to search myself and thought that point, obviously, I still hadn't had COVID. And I thought, OK, so if I had the vaccine, what what would that mean if I took the, the vaccination? Um, so that was one question that I had that I needed to answer. The other question that I had is, you know, how do trials happen um i happen to be an, an, a non-medical prescriber so i i've 
you know, learned a, a, probably a bit more detail about medicines and how they made and how they prescribed and all that kind of stuff. So I felt I had a little bit more understanding in terms of actually, well, how did they trial this and how does it normally happen? And, you know, all these things about, well, it normally takes 10 years and how come this only took a few months and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, well, if we think that a load of money from a load of people and countries would have thrown money at this because from an economic perspective, you know, this potentially would have decimated everybody's economies, you know, and life as we know it. So um, there was a lot of um, impetus for them to to do something. So a lot of money was thrown. So therefore they were able to accelerate the process a bit more. And that's kind of the conclusion I got, I got to um, that. Okay, so that might explain the, the length of time in the process. Um, there was a paper that was uh, produced um, for health practitioners around um, the authorization of the vaccines um, as well. And that detailed the process and what they went through. So they had 44,000 um, participants um, and it was a randomized control study, uh, 22,000 that took then this is from a Pfizer perspective because that's the one that I had. So I was doing a bit more research on that. 22,000 who had the vaccine and 22,000 that didn't. I actually had um, staff that had um, gone forward for the trial. So I knew people that I was working with directly that had gone for the trial. Interestingly, there was no way I would have gone for the trial. And I don't know if any Black people that went for the trial. <laughs> and I think it's something that's, yeah. that's an interesting thing to see. And when you start to see the papers, actually, there was a very low um, uptake. I think it was something, oh, God, I, I won't lie to you, but it was very low. I'm pretty sure it was less than 5%, but I can't remember the exact figures um, for people from a black and ethnic minority background who were part of the trial. So out of 44,000 people, only a few of us. And that's interesting because I think that already starts to show our behavior. And I certainly was part of that. There was no way I was going to be going for the trials. Um so I wanted to understand it a little bit more. So knew that, also saw um, kind of the outcomes, so the, the side effects that people had experienced, all that. So it was all kind of detailed. So I had something to refer to if I was going to be going forward um, with the vaccine. Um, so I did my research like that. And Twitter was amazing, I think, for me in terms of um, information gathering, because I, I followed people like uh, Greg Fowle, um, who's the public um, health director in the city that I live in. So, you know, and you can follow these people wherever you are, if you, you know, you want to, um, I guess, have more intimate knowledge about what's happening locally um, with anything. But, you know, obviously we're talking about COVID. So he gives weekly updates on uh, YouTube that you can follow and he will lead you to to sort of the most up-to-date researcher who's saying what and um, the people that comment and, you know, will, you know, share studies or whatever. So they're good people to follow for information and for updates that's scientifically backed and it's not just people's opinions. Um, so I found that really helpful in terms of understanding what was happening and the decision making. But I think the final thing for me was about humanity. Um, at that point, I think this was probably end of November time. And I'm pretty sure it's about 1.2 million people had died worldwide. Now, for me, that that's that's a huge deal. You know, these are people who, if COVID hadn't turned up, they 
may well have still been alive, no matter the age they were. Um, COVID, you know, either progressed their disease quite quickly or, um, you know, they, 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 yeah, I mean, they died. And so for me, it wasn't just 1.2 million people that were affected. Those 1.2 million people had family, they had friends. So you're looking at millions and millions of people that had been affected. Our lives had been changed. I mean, I had plans for 2020. I'm sure we'd all, you know, rung in the new year and we all had our dreams and, and things that we were looking forward to and all that. So other than my one trip to Cape Town, which was fantastic. And if you haven't been, please arrange a trip when we can travel. Um, it, it was, that was the one thing that I did. And for a while it kept my sanity going because at least I could say, yes, I've been on holiday this year. Um, but for the rest of the year, anything else that I had planned, actually nothing happened. And I you, you kind of, I remember having to uh, cancel things and, and, you know, we had 21st birthday in our family. We had an 18th and we had a 50th and we all had to just celebrate at home. Um, so life as we knew it had changed. People were dying at levels that we haven't seen in a very long time. So, was it about me or was this about humanity? Was this, it's um, what we say, I'm, I'm, I don't know if many of you have heard of the term Ubuntu, that it's, you know, it's not just about me, it's about us. We're a global village and we have to think sometimes not just about me and how it's affecting me, but about the greater good. The whole point of the vaccine um, and the approval of the vaccine in this country was three things. One was to uh, reduce the severity of deaths. Uh, sorry, the severity of the disease. Mm -hmm. So the expectation is if you take the vaccine, then you're not gonna become as ill mm -hmm. um, with it if you were ever gonna be ill. The second thing was that it would reduce the rate of deaths. So we wouldn't have as many people dying. The third thing was that it would reduce the strain on the NHS. Um, so not only in terms of just COVID and people being affected by COVID, both healthcare workers and people that were being admitted, but also for the ability for the NHS to provide the basic service that it provides every single time. Because COVID, particularly in the first lockdown, took over everything, absolutely took over everything. So you had people that were rede being redeployed from whatever they do. And even that was even in mental health, it wasn't just about general hospitals. Even in mental health, people were no longer doing the things that they would normally do. Um, community teams were no longer running the way that they were doing. They were stripping some of them down, not all, to uh, bolster up the inpatient services because some of the staff had to shield, some of the staff were ill, and all these things that were happening, some of the staff couldn't come to work because they had their children who were off school, they didn't have any way to take them. So. It was it was it was a mess. So those are the three reasons why, um, and ultimately, that is kind of the decision making process that I went through, um, and it helped. That understanding helped debunk some of the myths, the conspiracies that were flying around, um, sort of saying why we shouldn't take the vaccine, and uh, the vaccine was going to kill us, that it was going to give us all these diseases, and. Yeah, it was it was helpful at you know kind of my networks to be able to yeah begin to debunk some of those myths. Mm. Thank you, Adelaide. One question I do want to ask, and there's lots of 
got going on in the chat, which I want to feed back as well, was if going back to what you said about if um, black people were more at risk and disproportionately being affected by COVID, I was really surprised to see when they when they put together the list of those people who were the groups of people that are going to be vaccinated. I was shocked to hear that we weren't even in the list. It was by age and not by, you know, being disproportionately being affected by, by COVID, but we weren't even on the list unless we, we fitted those categories because of age. That's what surprised me. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. I don't know. <laughs> well, I couldn't understand it because I was waiting to kind of see, you know, you know, healthcare workers or BME people because they're more at risk of kind of catching COVID and dying from it, but we weren't even categorized. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, I don't know, I'm not an epidemiologist yeah. or, or whatever, but I do yeah, think I some it. of it was, they kind of fitted some of that in. So the, the, the things that they were looking at was people that were clinically vulnerable. Mm. Um, but we were and, clinically vulnerable. And had underlying... In a vulnerable group. Yes, um, yes. I'm not sure if the research is out yeah. there that was then categorically saying that, but I think okay. you were able to fit us in yeah. um, through the groups that were identified. So mm -hmm. the the clinically uh, vulnerable group, the elderly next group, um, the elderly, Care yeah, the, the people yeah. that were over fifty mm -hmm. uh, were seen as kind of being clinically mm -hmm. vulnerable. Um, and yeah, there was something else, but again, like I said, that's not my area of expertise. Okay. So there was some oh, acknowledgement, but not quite directly, yeah. um, because I think it becomes, it can become quite a dangerous game and that's why it needs to be done right. Because one of the things that people were then starting to say was the, the issue of the blackness was about the genetics. So when you start going down that route, it, it starts to become really difficult, whereas there's a lot mm. more around it in terms of um, where we are sat in society, the kind of health inequalities that we face, the economic equalities that we face. So a combination of factors mm -hmm. um, would contribute to why we are we, we are and still are disproportionately affected um, with things like COVID and just generally um, in society as well, so I think it's a it's a wider picture that I think would be best to 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 be tackled from a a, a more kind of wider perspective than just looking at COVID yeah. Yeah. because that probably narrows it too much. But like I said, this is not my <laughs> no, that's all, that's fine. I just I just wanted to, wanted to see your views now, but I wasn't expecting you to kind of give an expert opinion, <laughs> not knowing all the information. Adelaide, are you all right? If we have, I'm just going to, I've just got some questions oh, in, the, in yeah. the chat, if that's all right. Yeah. Um, I, I've got a message from Kerry, which is something about um, a syndrome or diagnosis. I'd like to come back to that question, if that's all right to you, with you, Kerry, but um, I just want to kind of relate some of the questions that we've got now to what Adelaide has been talking about. So um, Carol Andrews has said, is it a vaccine or treatment? It's vaccination. Okay. It's not treatment. So that's why you can still catch um, COVID-19. So you can still be infected by COVID-19, even if you have the vaccine. Mm. You can still pass it on, even if, you have if you've had the vaccinations. That's why you're still needing to um, keep to all the measures that have been described. I think at the moment what um, they were sort of 
believing so when they first started to roll out was that it would reduce the severity of the disease that you would face and that you would be less likely to die if you caught the disease if you had been vaccinated so that's primarily obviously you know um new research is being done and you know outcomes are being updated constantly as we go because this is an ongoing process we they still don't know enough about what's going to happen yeah. um, with it all. Um, but I know what they're being a little bit more categoric about is um, how much more you're protected when you have the vaccine than when you're not vaccinated. And they certainly, um, you know, kind of good figures around that at the moment. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, oh, Carol's asked another question. Um, why are more African countries on the watch, on the watch list? more than others yeah i'm asking the same question <laughs> oh my so uh, I, you know, I think there's something about discrimination that you know that's that genre yeah. it's easier um to, to look like sorry adelaide something. one moment adelaide um ingrid uh, could i ask you to put your yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 oh there's a bit of feedback thank you Okay, Adelaide, yes. Yeah, I mean, oh, I thank think... Thank you, Ingrid. Yeah, I'm asking that same question like everybody else, and I can't mm -hmm. help but think um, of the motive behind it. I think it's yeah. African countries, and is it South American countries as well? Yeah. Um, there, there's a, a mixture of both, and I, there's definitely... It's, it's, a, it's a question mark um, around mm -hmm. the motive behind that, um, because like I said earlier on, actually they have been pretty good at managing their borders, um, and managing infections. Yes, there was a spike, particularly in Southern Africa in January. They had a really, really terrible time. And I think there's other countries being affected, but it's still the same now. I think Europe is, is there's a concern around just Europe in general. Um, mm. The UK is doing quite well in terms of the reduction, but um, Italy I know is, is, is um, recording high numbers at the moment and also um, Germany. So there's, yeah, there's definitely a question mark. And I would have expected America to have been on there, but oh, yeah. Not on there. yeah, 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 no, definitely. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Um, question from Grace: um, What lessons have Black people learned from this pandemic? How do we get involved more in services and information gathering? Um, actually, I think there's some good work um, going on at the moment. So yes, there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy but i think there's a lot of good work going on by different organizations so i'll describe what is happening uh locally and the, the things that people are are doing um that are probably replicated elsewhere um so you've got uh, as i said sort of from a healthcare perspective you've got like local networks who are really lobbying and raising awareness and um doing you know kind of sessions around debunk debunking myths, et cetera, et cetera. You've got um, sort of, I call them diasporan um, health networks, but, um, and they generally are, so you've got like, as I mentioned, the Zimbabwean already, there's the Caribbean and um, 
Caribbean and African Health Network um, based in Manchester. Mm -hmm. uh, they're doing a lot of online um, either Zoom sessions or webinars where they are sharing um, information and those have the experts. So those are really good to follow. So they've got, you know, epidemiologists, they've got doctors, they've got scientists who are doing all these sort of uh, Zoom meetings, um, webinars and you know kind of discussions and also sharing information on their websites mm. around um you know the the vaccinations and are having forums where people can ask questions and they're answering those questions and um i know sort of certainly they, they're also partnering with local organizations um in terms of um so locally, we've got a you know a, a group called SACMA, and I know they've been working with mm. them in terms of again sharing the information out. Um, you've got, as I said, the health networks that are again doing um, seminars, and I know the Zimbabwean one. I think last week had something like three hundred attendees, and just from that alone, the number of people that were messaging saying that they were now taking the vaccine because at least their fears had been allayed. They'd sought advice they'd sought the information and you know they had been given the opportunity to wear because at the end of the day it is a personal decision nobody's gonna force you um, to take the vaccine unless things are put in structurally like for you to travel you need to have had the vaccine um you know those sorts of things that might force you if you wanted to do something i know they've been talking about um, enforcing it more in healthcare type thing, but you know those sorts of things don't really work as being seen with the flu vaccine. You really have to win hearts and minds rather than force people to do stuff because actually people you you can't you, it's not sustainable. Um, so I think they they one of the things as well just even locally in your homes because what you find is if I don't take the vaccine, then the likelihood of my children not taking the vaccine is very high. The likelihood of my parents not taking the vaccine is very high. But if I take the vaccine, them seeing my journey and being able to ask me the questions why and for me being able to explain why um, actually gives them the confidence that it's okay despite what everybody is saying. So I think we, we need to seek truth um, rather than rely on uh, opinion. Uh, we need to seek, seek facts and we need to you know, the same way that we would research anything, if you were to go to your doctor and your doctor said to you, you've got this and I need to prescribe you medication, whatever process you go through is what you should be doing with COVID now. So if you ask the doctor, then ask the doctor. If you go and Google and research, knowing which sites to go, so, you know, go to who, uh, go to your local um city council because that's where the public health information is held the local one um you know seek advice from you know maybe professional people that you know seek advice online even if you google covid and black people or whatever you know you will find these networks coming up go to sources that you trust um to give you information now when anybody sends me a whatsapp message that's telling me that um this is the best way to cure whatever i ask them who who is the source can i have the link to the paper that's telling me that this is the best thing to do it you know start to question it at that level so i think as black people yes let's ask the questions let's just not be passive in terms of just saying yeah i'll go along with it because i've been told to do it ask the questions seek the information and there is a lot of support out there there's people that are doing um you know, kind of the, the vaccination 
information in different languages and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of things coming out. And it's okay to wait. And in some ways, there isn't a, 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 a hurry per se at the moment because, you know, a program is ongoing and some people are not even eligible yet. So use this time to seek that understanding, that information. Um, I mean, for me, my personal experience, the first injection, yeah, it was sore for a couple of days. I probably need paracetamol on one day. Two days, I think it was day four and five, I slept like a baby um, and it was the best sleep I ever had. If I could sleep like that every day, it would be amazing. Um, and then that's it. The second injection, I haven't felt anything at all. It's been great. So I think, you know, seek information and feedback from people who've been through it um, and from um, the experts. So your epidemiologists, your public health directors, um, your GPs, your doctors, um, and then, you know, talk to people who have personally experienced things through it. Okay. Yeah. Just give me the name of that group again. I'll put that in one in Manchester so I can put that in the group. Yeah, in the, in the it's chat. the Caribbean and African Health Network. Right. They're doing some amazing work. And that's in that's in Manchester. They're yeah? based in Manchester, yeah. Okay, so I'll pop that but in the chat. COVID wow. awareness. And if you come from, you know, like certain countries, I think Malawi has started doing some some stuff as well. There's there's lots of different things that are happening and you can see the momentum building. Churches as well are starting to be used as vaccination centers um, and are coll collaborating with local GPs and stuff. So again, you know, it's like lobbying, you know, what is your church saying about the COVID vaccine? Are they even having the conversation? Because sometimes that's all it takes, having an open, honest conversation with some experts most churches there's usually a doctor in there somewhere um you know there's people or people asking people to come in and have the conversations you know talk to your um your public health local people somebody knows somebody um, and get those questions answered you know have the facts that allow you to make an informed decision because that's the thing for me that for black people sometimes we we fail ourselves because we don't ask the questions. We don't ask the questions of the right people and we don't then challenge. It doesn't give us the basis to challenge the, the things that are being done or the decisions that are being made. And as you know, from a mental health perspective, I know that very well. Um, there's things that we can ask and we can understand better that might help our outcomes uh, help us to have different outcomes is what I was going to say. This is guinea pigs uh, for their work, which, you know, is based on reality. We know about the Tuskegee um, yeah. scandal in the 50s. Yeah. We know that in Africa there have been many cases where, they, you know, people have gone over and, and completed their trials without informing them, maybe having paid off the governments, whatever situation. We know that historically these things are factual and they're true. Um, you know, I had even somebody, because I was doing these snippets, one minute snippets of um, sharing about my COVID experience and stuff. And I had somebody inbox me saying, but I've been told that they are separating um, the, 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 the vials so that your code is on the vials. So they're, they're giving you a, a different vial to the white people. And I said to them, my goodness, who has got the time? to separate all of that. They're struggling just to get the vaccination centers set up with the right equipment, the right personnel to run it. Who in their right mind has got the time to think, let's separate the black 
vaccines from the white vaccines and make sure that they get whatever we want. Nobody's got that. They don't care. People just want the vaccine. So either we, we listen to that and actually believe that people are really against us. And I understand why we may feel that way, but either we continue with that kind of view or we, um, I guess, how, how would we do it? Or we approach this in a pragmatic way. This is a, a, a global issue that is affecting you. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white or whatever. We all have um, opportunity to get it in whatever arena. Yes, um, maybe how it then affects me might be different because of a variety of reasons, but actually, we we are all out there, all being affected, all dying, um, and everybody wants this to end because our life has changed. And I'm sure if a black person suddenly say they have found the cure, and it works, believe you me, everybody, black, white, whatever, will okay, be okay. on that queue saying, can I have it, please? And I think, yeah, so we really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one that like you said you know if, 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 yeah. if i imagine if people that like you said they they are the scientists who are involved in kind of making one of one of the vaccines and if black people kind of thought well actually you know what they're, they're scientists they've researched it we've got our own pharmaceutical companies actually making it then i imagine the uptake would be very high but there's still that skepticism about you know what is going on here with the difference between black people and white people? What, like you said, and the Tuskegee Airmen and other. So there's lots of things that are going on out there that people are just wanting to get either clarity on, or and maybe that's part of the hesitancy that you gather your information and make sure that you're well informed. And um, I've got another question for you. Um, what about future pregnancy or how it will affect the children? They are not vaccinated now, so what about pregnancy? Um, okay, so I think when they did the initial trials, they were looking at 18 to 65, I think they did the trials on, um, so they were definitely excluded and rightly so. They have started trials on children now, I think it's ongoing at the moment, they've had their first dose. I can't remember which um, vaccine it was, whether it was both AstraZeneca or Pfizer, I can't remember. You know what age group? Um, children? I think it's 12. To seventeen. Okay, so the older end of yeah, what's yeah. the older end of children? Yeah, now? so yeah, secondary school. Yeah, that they are, and, and I mean honestly, most of this information I've just got it off Twitter and papers and stuff that they've yeah. been producing on there. Um, and with going back to pregnancy, so the is it the Royal uh, College of Gynecology? Um, is a good place to look for for information. They will give you up-to-date information in terms of guidance around COVID. Um, again, I think this is in time they will tell you, you know, what the state is. That's who you should be going to in terms of advice and also in terms of your GP, having those discussions and your midwives and whatever. They will have the most up-to-date guidance based on the information they understand at the time. I mean, when you talk about pregnancy, it's interesting because um, in terms of work, you know, there was a question around should they be shielding or not? You know, should they be coming to work um, or not? And I think the guidance is from 28 weeks. Well, it was then the last time I checked. 28 weeks, you should be shielding. Um, and, 
yeah, staying at home, but prior to that, you, you're okay. But again, you have to be pragmatic with it. Um, you know, if somebody's so stressed about going into work and doing stuff, then they're probably causing more harm than good by you forcing them to be at work. So again, depending on what the advice is around um, the vaccine, if you're actually going to be more stressed and affected by it, then maybe it's not great, but seek your advice from your healthcare professionals and use these websites. So, you know, the Royal College of Psychiatry, the Royal College of Gynecology, almost every um, health uh, care, uh, what do you call it, service, uh, or discipline has got a, 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 a website, you know, for doctors, and often these. Just want to put in there. Nine months have not passed since pregnancy. If anybody had a vaccine, we don't know what it's going to do to the babies. On about how to do, or what you should do about whatever. Nice as well. So um, is also great at giving you guidance about what should happen with any sort of health condition. NICE is probably not going to have anything for COVID yet because it's very new. Um, but in terms of, you know, just clinical um, guidance, those those sorts of um, platforms are really good for you to get information for yourself. Um, so at least you have a starting point when you're asking maybe your healthcare professional questions or whatever. Um, so you know what the advice is, what, what kind of treatment or care you should be receiving about anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Thank you. Um, I've got a message here from Lisa. Um, yeah, Lisa. There are so many different oppositions, information and conspiracies from, from many other areas, e.g. protests around the world, different doctors objecting to the vaccine, the man who explained and stated the depopulation of black people, etc. Then there is the false reports about numbers and the disappearance of people dying from any other diseases or illnesses. For me, it's still a no. And I was going to say that, you know, there are some people that choose not to take it. And I don't think that they should be ostracized or, you know, everyone has their choice. But then I get a sense that, you know, oh, you should be having the vaccine because, you know, you're putting everybody else's health health at risk. But at the end of the day, it is a choice. It is definitely a choice. I think for me, as as long as you are making an informed decision, Mm. that's okay. Um. There is, there is a concern that if, because um, the whole issue about vaccination is about reducing the rate of infection, um, maybe the rate of severity with any, in any country or any population. So if you don't have a critical mass, so I'm able to say and have the luxury of saying, I don't want to have the flu vaccine because actually there is enough people who get vaccinated mm. um, so that my saying no doesn't, isn't actually going to change things very much. Um, but if, a lo- if, if the flu issue was a, if the flu was an issue right now, uh, I suspect I would take the vaccine um, because mm. I wouldn't have the, prof- the, the protection that I have now because of the numbers of people that are taking it. So definitely a personal decision. But make sure that you're making an informed decision mm. based on facts um, and not just opinion, conjecture, or a conspiracy that you have sought your facts and that you're okay with your decision. That's all that anybody can ask of, of us. Okay. 
Um, a statement from Paulette. I assume that most people to actually research and research with a given new medication by their doctor because many tend to trust them. But as this is on a global level and more transparent, you know, this creates a lot of doubts and concerns. People don't. I'm not quite sure whether people don't. If that did, I don't know if that made sense. I'm not sure if I've read it correctly, Paulette, but I may come back to you if they wanted to ask that question for yourself. Um, Jemmy P said, yes, question everything. A lot of doctors are Google doctors. Um, I've just received a text say the vaccine kicks in three to six months time. I'm going to look in. I'm going to look at look at it after. Um, I'm not a flu sufferer, but are any of the long COVID effects similar to those experienced after having flu? I don't know. Okay. Um, question from Hanifa. I agree with Adelaide. We need to take responsibility for what happens in our lives. The problem is that often when we raise our voices, we get ignored, shut down, or not even given space at the table. While things are improving, we still struggle to be taken seriously by the relevant people and where it matters. I guess that goes back to you saying we need to have make sure we have a seat at every single table at every level. And Grace has said, thanks, Adelaide, you have answered the question according to my sentiment. I admire your knowledge and understanding. I think you could start a mentor in black. I think you could start a mentor in black people to leadership. There's an invitation. <laughs> Thank you, Grace. Carrie <laughs> said, do you think church folk really, oh, do you think church folk rely on the Lord and that, and that's why they refuse the vaccine? I don't know about that one. Can I, can I, can I jump in with that yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's um, a, an interesting one uh, that I, I like to discuss, particularly around mental health. And it's the same question. You know, I, I'm a woman of faith. I have very strong faith. I am a Christian. And, uh, you know, my beliefs are so strong. And I, I struggle with some of these questions because unless that person who has that view around, you know, maybe we should just be praying, you don't take paracetamol. You don't go to the GP. You don't go and see a specialist when you have a health problem and you just rely on prayer alone in terms of um, surviving in this world then yes, please go ahead. But if you, any of you go to the doctors, um, either for smear tests and if something comes up and you have to go and see um, the specialist for screening and blah, 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 to make sure that you don't have, and if they happen to say that you've got cancer, that you don't go for chemo and you know the surgery or whatever, then that's, that's kind of the questionable, we should, when it comes to health issues, whatever you normally do, you should be applying to the situation. So if you trust your doctors, yes, because this is new, this is new for everybody, you might find your doctor isn't able to answer all the question, but they're able to give you as much understanding as they know and give you uh, maybe the assurance that you need to make the decision that you need to make. But, you know, we pray and we... Uh, seek uh, healing absolutely but I believe that doc, you know doctors the, the sense of doctors was created by God people have been gifted with the ability to become doctors so that they can go and impact the healing and in that process as they are ministering to their patients they are doing it 
from a, a spiritual gifting. So I think it's, yeah, the, whatever we normally do is what we should be applying in this situation. Okay. Okay. I'm hoping that um, some thought for um, some of the people who are listening. I'm running through because there's quite a lot of questions in here and some of them are comments. So I'm running through them and because of time. I just want to just see if there are questions here that um, you'll be able to answer that may support other people in, in learning more. Um, without being a part of, this is Ingrid, without being part of the trials, I'm still struggling to understand how we can say the vaccine is safe for black people. I truly had an open mind about it until just finding this out. Um, I think if I can just add that it won't be unique to um, to COVID. We would generally, I, I haven't done the research on this, but I, I just, I just know, I guess that yeah. I, I suspect that we are very low uptakers in trials anyway. Mm. Uh, and because of our hesitancy, our lack of trust, our wanting to see how it works first before we embark on it, and that's okay to, to feel that way. Um, you know, some people have said to me, mm, I'm not ready yet. I think I'll give it another yeah. six months and see how people are, how you get on with it, and you can give me feedback as to how it goes. It's, yeah. I think it's a, it's a difficult one because at what point are we going to, do a trial just for black people um, for COVID, I'm not sure, unless, you know, somebody funds it and says they're going to do it, um, yeah. which is why we, as black people, need to be in economic spaces where we can either direct those decisions or we can fund those decisions um, mm -hmm. to do that just for ourselves, because are people going to just identify us? I mean, there are diseases right now that affect us that are not necessarily funded um because they, they're not yeah yeah um so there is you know like you said there's 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 a space and a, a place for like you said some black people and it may be like you said in parts of africa that the scientists that are over there may want to do some trials and then would that support you know this just a conversation this just a for the people listening, that may well supply the information to say that, look, this has been made by our own people and we've tested it and it's safe, that may well encourage other populations of black people in other parts of the world to want to, want to take, take it up. Um, just one last, there's, there's, lots, there's lots, lots of questions in here. I'm trying to run through most of them and I'm conscious of time as well. Um, I've just got one last statement, I think. Uh, this is just a statement. I think most people don't do research when given a new medication by their doctor because many tend to trust their doctor, but because COVID is on a global level and more transparent, it creates a lot of double, a lot of doubt and concern in people. Do we know how many black people have been part of our previous trials for medication we take we freely take now? That's interesting. Um, I don't know, but No, I don't no, I didn't think so. No, I I didn't know. Um, and I think, if I'm right, so yeah, that was the um, last one. I guess the message is from yourself, Adelaide, is 
if you're still vaccine hesitant, um, do your research, speak to other people who've had it. And there are some people that may be hesitant, they're waiting to see how it, the reaction is from the general population. There are those who, I mean, I don't even take paracetamol, if I'm honest. I can't, I don't, I've never ever taken any over-the-counter medicines, like nurse up, anything like that. Um, most of the stuff that I take is, is natural, natural, natural antibiotics, but I'm open to, you know, having conversations with people about it. But what I don't want is for people to kind of say, you know, you should be having it. And I'm not saying that to anybody. Um, do your own research and make your own decisions. Um, but I want to say, we, we are going to have to finish now. So I'm just thinking we, we're supposed to finish at two. We've, we've gone over because I knew this was going to be a big topic for for everybody that is here. And thank you so much for a lot of the, lot of the questions and comments in the in the chat. Um, sorry if I didn't get to read out your question or didn't get to read out your comments, but most of them were kind of, some of them were saying quite similar things. So um, in the meantime, I want to say a huge, huge thank you to my guest, Adelaide, for... So it's Adelaide um, and uh, Angela Burrows with Coffee Morning with Ultravision. Absolutely love that um, show. Uh, my uptake on this COVID vaccination and what we've been hearing. Just a few pointers to end that. Um, one, nine months have not passed for anybody carrying or um, conceived during COVID and had a vaccine. That's what I want to see. A person that has been pregnant or is in the midst of having a vaccine and then is pregnant, we have to wait a full 10 months before that baby is due. What is the repercussions after that? No one can give you that answer in 2021 right now. Because the babies are not born since vaccines started and there hasn't gone past the three months space so we don't know what's going to happen to the newborn babies all right we don't so that's my concern um will pregnant mothers take it or will they be told not to take it? that question was not answered um they said to go on to uh, google search or some search engine to look for it so therefore again um I'm skeptical of this vaccine. One of the things, again, she said she'd had the vaccine. Um, she's had two vaccines, but yet she told you that people are sleeping. You're hearing that quite a bit. People are sleeping and that hurt and they're in pain. There is other symptoms that we, we're looking at. Why? When you hear the pain side of things and you hear and you see that... Uh, Bell palsy keeps resurfacing its ugly head with videos around as well, which is uh, saying it's since they've had vaccines that developed bell palsy. So that that there bothers me. Um, these are things that I think about. And again, when we go on to church folk, we were church folk were indoctrinated to rely on the the Lord or trust your instinct or trust the bigger picture. And it also states not to rely on false prophet. Was the false prophet, in my imagination, was the false prophet the vaccine? So, that would deter you taking and coming away from the faith, wouldn't it? If you're thinking about that's going to... I, I look at it this way. 
2021, I'm still here. COVID's come, COVID's still here. I'm still here. Uh, there was a point where I got a cold, a really bad cold. I did not go get tested uh, because I felt that the cotton buds had an issue with the cotton buds, which because again, looking at social media videos, I had an issue with the cotton buds. Um, so I refused to test. I was meant to have medical treatment and it was, if you don't have the test, then you can't get the treatment. So therefore I became really agitated with that because I felt it became black male into, and it's no different to it, what you're hearing in these, in these podcasts is that if you want to go on holiday, you are to have a test, yes. But in some places, you will have to have your vaccination if you want to even work in employment, let alone travel. So this then becomes, to me, mm, a little bit, um, it, it, it makes a choice. The choice that I've had to get my head around is, are you prepared never to travel again? And quite frankly, yes, if that means never taking the vaccine. The other choice is, are you prepared to be ostracised Yes, because they've trained you into that for the past bloody year anyway. Um, so I've been enjoying the countryside for me. Uh, still get my shopping, still get what I need. Fine. Um, are you prepared to, when when people use the fact of, oh yeah, but if you don't have it, you're the one that's given it to us. No, I think you just heard rightly that you will still and still can contract covid if you are vaccinated, which is a bloody pointless exercise, but then they were saying it would just reduce some of the symptoms. Well, many of us already think that we had COVID and have overcome it, meaning that our immune system has been built up. So therefore, at the end of the day, we thank the Lord that we're still here. So why on earth would we go and take a vaccine now when there is not enough research or time that has lapsed but as you said rightly she said time is of the essence and if we don't equip ourselves with the knowledge and empower ourselves with uh, every slim detail about what you're putting in your body then uh, again it's all down to choice the other thing that I want to uh, say because nobody's addressing this and you know me I've always got an issue there are Jehovah's Witnesses that will not even have a tr blood transfusion, let alone treatment. And there are millions of those all over the world. Now, what do you do when it becomes between faith and mankind intervention? I think that's on a final note. We'll leave it for you to judge and do what you want to do. You stay safe. You have your own mind, you have your own thought process, it is your body, it is no different to, uh, you, you know, it is your body, your choice, your body, your choice. Um, just don't ridicule people for their own choices, that's all I have to say. Educate yourself. Be safe. <laughs>